0: parable of the net from Matthew chapter 13 verses 47 to 50. So we're looking at the kingdom of God and we are looking at the kingdom through the different, uh, studying it through the different aspects uh, which Jesus taught us in the parables that he left us. And so in each of the parables there are, there's a different aspect of the kingdom of God that we're able to, to pick up. Now most of the parables of the kingdom are found in Matthew chapter 13 and this morning as we look at the parable of the net we are getting towards the, the end of the uh, of series of parables of the kingdom. Now just to be clear, it is uh, the parable of the net is not a parable of the internet, I just, just got to say that, though I think that if Jesus was around today uh, he would have had fun with that one. Now with with this parable we move locations we move from the the field from the farm and last week we moved to the to the kitchen but this morning we moved to the lake to the sea also the activity has changed from sowing to baking and now we go to fishing And Jesus is no longer talking to the crowds as he was talking in the the first part of of Matthew 13. Jesus is here alone with his disciples. That's what he tells us in verse 36 of Matthew 13. So it's clear that, to understand the context, it's clear that this message or this parable isn't for everyone. It is for the disciples for those who are followers of Jesus. Now, most of these disciples were were fishermen and that is why this parable here is using words and images that they should have been very familiar with, they can relate to. So, first of all, in verse 47, we go fishing. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. For thousands of years the activity of fishing hasn't changed all that much and there were three main ways that fishing was carried out in those days and probably the three main ways that fishing is still carried out these days. Now the first method was using a hook and line. For example, when it came uh, we saw this, when it came, the when came the time for Jesus to pay taxes, Jesus said to Peter, throw out your line. That's in Matthew 17, 27. And as he threw out his line, he got a fish and there was a coin inside the fish. And there you go, pay the taxes for myself and for you. That was it. How easy is that? Well, Jesus can do that. The second method would be using a net. And uh, we recall that before, Calling his disciples, particularly uh, Peter, Peter and Andrew, to follow him, Jesus saw them they were casting a net into the lake that is from Matthew chapter four verse eighteen so that is the second method, and that is casting a net is, is, a, is a smaller net that they they threw from the side of the boat or from the shore and sometimes with casting a net you you could see the the school of fish swimming about. And so you throw the net in that particular direction. And then obviously when Jesus called them, he told them from now on, I will make you fishers of men. But the word for net that is used here in Matthew 13 is a different word to the word for net that is used in Matthew chapter 4. As here it refers to a dragnet or a, or a big, big net. A dragnet is about uh, two metres. In those days, it was about two metres in height and might be a, as, as long as a hundred metres in length. It, uh, many times it was fitted, one end was fitted with one boat and the other end with another boat, and the whole net was, was dragged along behind. as as they sailed in the lake on the Sea of Galilee or out in the sea. Now, because of their size, these nets could not be cast, but they were dragged and pulled by these boats. And much of the commercial fishing today is done by, by trawlers, pulling their long nets that aren't just hundreds of metres, but they could actually be like a kilometre, more than a kilometre long, as they sail through the seas and the oceans. Now, the world in which we live is compared to a world of fish, in which there are all kinds of fish, as it says in this parable. Now, these different kinds of fish... Represent different nations or different types of people within those nations that are spread throughout the world. In the Old Testament, the prophet Habakkuk used similar language and this is what we read in Habakkuk chapter 1 verses 14 to 15. And this is what he said. He says, you have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler, the wicked foe pulls all of them up with hooks. He catches them with his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet and so he rejoices and is glad. Notice how Habakkuk mentions the three methods of fishing that we just spoke about. It echoes the fishing picture that Jesus uses here in the Gospel. The action of gathering into their nets is a picture of, in in the Old Testament, of a nation conquering another nation, bringing those other nations, the conquered nations, under their influence, under their power. Similarly, in this parable, the kingdom of God is pictured as something that goes forth into the world and it has the power to bring people into the kingdom. The kingdom of God is moving like a net through the sea of humanity, capturing people where they get to hear the gospel through his church. The dragnet, by definition and by design, catches all kinds of fish. It doesn't catch... All the fish, but it catches all kinds of fish. They simply catch what they catch. Likewise, the gospel doesn't lend itself to selectivity. We are not choosing our bait or lures with a like when we cast with a with a single line. When we're trying to catch a particular fish, you say, "Well, for that particular." fish you use this bait for that fish you use another bait and so on if you've done any fishing you know what I'm talking about here it's a dragnet that is cast wide catches everything so the gospel the gospel net is indiscriminate and general in its reach all kinds of people are scooped up in the dragnet of the gospel and into the church. Remember that the church is not the kingdom, but the church, because the kingdom of God is actually a lot broader than the church, but the church makes visible the kingdom of God. And when he gathers people from everywhere at every stage of their spiritual walk, they come together. As we're doing here, right now. Within the net, you will find young and old, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, black and white, Aussie and ethnic, and etc., etc. And from the distance, it looks like a wonderful tapestry of humanity. God's creation, all different shapes and colours. But it also means that as you look a little closer, having so many different people from all different backgrounds, you're opening yourself up to all sorts of frictions and situations, cultural peculiarities, and characters Many times, from the outside, the finger is pointed at the church with the expectations that people should be beyond that, that, that its leaders, even its leaders, should, should, should basically be perfect. Well, churches aren't perfect because people within it aren't perfect. Important to note that the world does not set the standard for the church. God does. Because sometimes the world will hold the church to a standard and we're saying, Well, no, we, we can't lower ourselves to that standard, particularly in the whole gender and sexual orientation debate. I say, No, we're going to follow the word of the word of God. You don't set the the agenda for what is right and what is wrong here. God does. So that's the fishing. Now let's go to the sorting in verse 48. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore and then they sat down and collected the good fishing baskets but threw the bad away. Now this fishing method was, as we can see, it was rather effective. The drawback was that their catch was always a very mixed one. So when the boat returns to shore, the net would be pulled out into the land and all kinds of fish, big and small, are trapped in it. The fish are sorted, but obviously only fish that had a commercial value were kept and put into the containers, while all the others, the the bad ones, are thrown back into the water. Now there is an important detail here. Notice how they don't come ashore simply when they are tired of fishing or when they have enough in the net I says, Oh, that's enough. We've well, got enough, I think well, let's just go back to the shore. No, they come to the shore when the net is is full. It is full. And this echoes the language of Romans where Paul says in Romans 11.25, and he says, referring to Israel, he says, Israel has experienced a hardening in part until, until what? The full number of the Gentiles has come in. All the other fish that are out there, the Gentiles, that's you and me, until the full number has come in. And only God knows when that fullness is, Right? and it's only then that the end of the age will take place also this word for collecting or gathering is the same word used in the parable of the sheep and the goats where the the idea of separating the good from the bad is repeated in Matthew chapter 25 verse 32 and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate He will separate them from one another. The sheep will be gathered from the goats, the good from the bad. This is also the message of the parables of the tares and the wheat that we had a look at. The master there, remember how he said, don't pull out the weeds now because you're not not going to be able to tell the difference between one and the other and you might actually do damage by pulling out the good, the wheat. Just leave it until harvest time. thing is, we actually can't act like sporting fishermen going out, paying good money and going out on the seas, hunting or fishing for the big prize, the big marlin, right? Sporting fishermen. So we can have a wonderful picture of this humongous fish that we caught, tag and release, that type of thing. And, they, and when they go fishing for these big tuna or big marlin, they, they know exactly what they are going for. But as a church, we can't do that. We should not get into the habit of rejecting some and going for others, rejecting the less desirable ones because it has never been our job to decide or sort it anyway. The church's role is to lower the nets. That's the role. A few decades ago, the the church growth movement, uh, it promoted the homogenous or homogeneous unit principle. Now, what, what does that mean? Well, the idea of this uh, homogeneous unit principle is the idea that the type of people that will come to your church will be like the people you already have within your church so uh, we all agree that the church has to go fishing but their idea of fishing is not with a net but their idea of fishing is with a fishing rod and a particular bait So he catches a particular type of fish. So there were churches, you ended up with churches for old people. You ended up with churches for young people. You ended up with churches for young families. You ended up with churches for immigrants, etc., etc. But is this really the ideal from a Christian perspective? Not the way that I read the Gospels. The net itself, the net itself doesn't do any sorting. It just gathers up everything within its reach. In the same way, the church should not get involved in the sorting process. This tells me also is that there is a a mixture of good and bad within the net. In this present era, the bad fish are allowed to live together with the good fish. Now some might find it disturbing to know that, that the good can be found together. The good and the bad can be found together within the kingdom. And how does that, how does it happen? Well, for example, just because someone is exposed to biblical teaching or preaching, it's, it's no guarantee that even after being exposed week after week after week, year after year, that they are in fact saved. It is possible to be in the net of the kingdom, and yet, at the end of the age, to be cast away as bad for evil deeds. Jesus had a Judas. Paul had a Demas. What defines good fish? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about that, but the good fish represents the person who is righteous, whose righteousness is not on himself but from Christ. The person whose faith is in Christ who will persevere to the end, whose fruit will be shown in the life that he lives. And this is where Jesus, this, is part, this part, these two verses are going to be, some, you, you might find somewhat disturbing. So let's go and look at the destiny from verses 49 to 50. Then this is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the most solemn part of the parable. Remember again that Jesus is not saying this to the crowds. He's saying this to the disciples, to the church, to us, you and me. And because the words are strong, various commentators throughout the years have tried to soften the words because this is a, is a picture of hell and, and it, it is quite serious. The consequences are quite serious. Now, some of these commentators say, well, this the picture here is simply a metaphor, which is true. Hell isn't really a furnace. In fact, it's worse because the reality will far exceed the metaphor. I hope you can understand that. The weeping speaks of remorse and sorrow. The gnashing of teeth speaks of frustration, hostility and anger. J.I. Packer said, and I quote, he says, the New New Testament always conceives of this eternal punishment as consisting of an agonising knowledge of one's own just desert, of God's displeasure, of the good that one has lost and of the irrevocable, fixed state in which one now finds oneself, end of quote. And Jesus says that at the close of the age the angels will be active in the sorting process. Now to be sure, uh, the angels have never ceased to be active but, but their activity has been largely unseen invisible and many times they come alongside God's people they come alongside God's church to deliver them, to strengthen them to encourage them in their witness for God, we've seen that through history but increasingly what it's telling us here is that there will be divisions into groups, either bad or good The true character of those who belong within the visible church will not remain hidden forever. The angels will come and they will separate the wicked from the righteous, and what people actually are will become plain for all to see. As we draw to the close of the age, it will no longer be possible to hide. Jesus himself said this in Luke chapter 10 verses 26 to 27. So do not be afraid of them, he said, for there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak it in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim it from the roofs. And, and, and towards the end of the age, it is obviously going to be more and more difficult to be a true Christian. We know that. Maybe you've already seen that. I can tell you, it's a reality in many parts of the world, even as we speak right now. Not only that, but the, not only that, but it is also going to be more difficult to be. A hypocrite to be a, a chameleon Christian, I'm not a, I, I'm not a real Christian. It's going to be harder to to be a pretend Christian. Think about it. What is the benefit for hiding behind a counterfeit Christianity when perse- persecution really begins? What's the point? Why would you what would you risk it? And and, and church history shows us that persecution always serves as a purge on the church. And, and, and Jesus warned again in Matthew chapter 24, verses 21 to 22, this is what, what he said. He says, For then there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days, and listen to this, if those days had not been cut short... No one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Praise God for that. It's not saying it won't happen, but it's saying that the days will be shortened for the sake of the elect. Brothers and sisters, the the, the dragnet is slowly being drawn towards the shore. Right now, every day it comes closer, and and one day soon the great catch will be landed and the separation will occur. From week to week, here we are, physically and online. We don't distinguish from the preaching of the gospel, it is indiscriminate, it is universal, it is available to all. But God will distinguish in the last judgment. The sheep and the goats, the wheat and the tares, the good fish, the bad fish, there is a great division that is coming and that is sobering. It is serious. I'm not making this stuff up. It's there, plain in the scriptures. So what are some lessons for us? First of all, not everything caught in this net is obviously, and um, when I say obviously, um, I'm, I'm saying conspicuous, good or bad. Not everything caught in this net is, is obvious or conspicuous, good or bad. Not everyone who has grown up in church, taught the Gospel, exposed to Biblical teaching, is automatically good. Just being in the net, the environment, the surroundings, is, is enough. It's, that's not good enough. And I'm glad that you're in the net here. But I pray more than just being in the net. That you will really be part of the kingdom. There is nothing more privileged than to be able to hear God's truth, God's word proclaimed and and given, being given an opportunity to, to repent and to come to faith, to believe in Him. That is a wonderful privilege that you should be thankful for. And yet, there's nothing more tragic That you should hear God's word, be unrepentant and not believe. And here I'm thinking a lot of our family and kids and grandkids who have grown up in the church, been part of the church for years and decades and yet now they're nowhere to be seen within the the walls of the church. It breaks your heart, doesn't it? Because we know, we've just been reminded of the consequences here. So that's the first thing. Secondly, separating good and bad is up to God. Because we are all born into a lost humanity and part of the fallen race, we're all in that condition. We are all already condemned. Ultimately, good or bad in the Bible refers to how we respond to the truth of Jesus Christ. To the salvation that is offered. Uh, man was created to be indwelt by God before the fall. That, that is how God made us. And, and the only way that we can fulfill our humanity is to be filled with God, with His Spirit, and to understand that we are, how we are to live and breathe by faith in Him. The righteous will live by faith. To hear God's word well means that we hear with a heart and a commitment and intention not only to, to understand it and absorb it, but to obey and, and do His will, how we live our lives, and to bear fruit in His name. Thirdly, third lesson is, please never doubt His justice. Because there is justice in the kingdom of God, hell is indeed a real place. I do not like judgment any more than you do. It makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel uneasy because we know the consequences. But it's real. And that, and, and as as a Christian and and more as a a teacher of God's word, uh, don't try and lessen the impact or the severity of hell. Try and explain it away. It's not too bad. The scriptures simply don't allow us to do that. This is why Jesus spoke so much about that place. He spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Just go and don't read the scriptures. And you see, even some folks in their frustration, they just wish to die. Well, I can tell you that death is not the end. Once you die, eternity begins, either in heaven or in hell. There will be billions who have, having been offered the gospel have ignored it, dismissed it, rejected it, mocked it, they will be faced with a terrible, terrible eternity. I don't say it with any joy. I'm just simply telling you what the Bible says. So never doubt his justice. And lastly, never doubt his love. The very one who healed the sick, thousands came to display his love and to teach us, came not only to warn us but to keep us out of hell. In fact, hell must be so terrible a place for Jesus to put his hand up, to leave his throne, suffer and die a terrible death on a cross for us. Why did he do it? He did it for love. For God so loved the world that he gave. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, it's clear. Never doubt his love. In the end, if, if the fear, because I know some, some people have become Christians because they fear hell. I said, no, I don't want that. So the the fear of hell is actually a strong motivation, right? But if you are not fearful of the prospect of hell, the other attraction has to be his love. In fact, how much he loves you. But if, if you're not fearful of the prospect of hell and you are not drawn by his amazing, powerful grace and love, then you have no destiny awaiting you except hell. You will have no one else to blame for refusing the eternal gift of his son. Everyone in this congregation, everybody here now in one way or another has had a contact, a touch with Jesus, has heard his voice, has... You must have had his spirit tug at your heart. Let me ask you, what has it done to you? Is the pull becoming stronger and stronger today? Have you surrendered, giving your life to him, knowing that he is your only hope of salvation from all of this? Are you gradually moving more and more into a, a deeper love, For the one who gave it all and just amazed that that you should should be so deserving of something so amazing for all of eternity. If if you're not there yet, I'm more than willing to have a talk to you about this and to explain to you the marvellous grace, the amazing grace of our Lord. Don't dismiss it. Don't ignore it. This is the word of the Lord. And the people said, praise be to God. Amen. Let's sing a song.